Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Pod of the Dragon. Spencer, we're getting ready. It's happening. I think we're about a month away. How are you feeling about the premiere of the HBO follow-on series to Game of Thrones House of the Dragon? Getting more excited by the day. I mean, you know me, excitement and I don't necessarily go hand in hand, but they've done a pretty good job in terms of starting to build up the amount of excitement that is going into this show with the releases of images, the releases of trailers, release of an episode nameless, perhaps. It's all adding to a lot of excitement that I honestly wasn't sure I was going to feel going into it. Yeah, they are certainly starting to lay the groundwork to reinvigorate the fan base from Game of Thrones. I mean, I feel like it's like it's this dormant fan base that's obviously still out there. We obviously still have the memories of Game of Thrones and all of the enjoyment mm-hmm. that we had from that series. And it's starting to come alive again. I mean, I see it on, I certainly see it on Twitter. I'm seeing it on Reddit where a lot of the the old, uh, especially like old Reddit threads and stuff uh, and, and subreddits that people were on for Game of Thrones are starting to light up again and people are getting excited about it. Um, you know, obviously the show has to deliver, but it looks like it might. We on this podcast feed are going to be reviewing Pot of the Dragon every week, and we are actually going to be doing two episodes per week. So what we're going to do is, if you followed us on um, when we were covering season eight of Game of Thrones, we're going to do that exact model. So after the episode airs, we are going to do a quick reaction pod, maybe 20, 25 minutes, just talking about our initial thoughts of the episode. And then we're going to give it a couple days to marinate. We're going to do our homework scholars that we are, podcast professionals, then we're going to sit down and hammer out a real play-by-play review of the episode, which we'll do in the Tuesday, Wednesday range of that week. Now, Spencer, you're getting what you want here. Ten episodes. This is not A proper shortened. season. It's a, yeah, they're doing a full ten episodes. This isn't season eight Game of Thrones. This isn't all of the new, um, <laughs> basically new everything that we get. Now is like five to six to seven episodes. They're doing a full 10 episode season. Yeah, yeah I, I love British television, but this is an inspiration for British television that I don't want American television to take. This five, six episode season thing is bullshit. And it is actually interfered with storytelling. Proper 10 episode seasons are what I'm here for. Yeah. So we're going to get basically 10 hours of uh, the season as we go through. So what we're going to do in this podcast, because we are still about a month away we obviously don't have any episode to review, but we did. There's so much going on. There's so much chatter around the season, the the upcoming premiere. They've released some, as Spencer alluded to, they've released some images. They possibly released the episode nameless. So we wanted to get, hop on a pod to start laying some groundwork, talking about the new series, maybe do a little bit of predictions, but we're going to split the podcast up between spoiler and non-spoiler. So mm-hmm. we're back into this world which we were in seasons one through four of Game of Thrones, where we there is source material for this. George R. R. Martin has written through The World of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood source material for what we're going to be watching, which is in effect the Targaryen sure. Civil War, the Dance of the Dragons. And Spencer and I are both very well, uh, well informed about this source material. So we can talk about it in a spoilery way, but we recognize that not everybody's read it, not everybody wants to. Some people want to be unsullied, sweet summer children that they are, go into the premiere not knowing what it's about. So we're going to talk very generally in the non-spoiler episode, part of the episode, um, and then we're going to switch to a spoiler part. And if you haven't read the source material and don't want to know about it, you can click off and join us next time. So Spencer, on the non-spoiler part, I wanted to talk about the images that were released. Please. Well, specifically... There is one image that I felt like was more interesting than all of the other images that they released. Because there was a lot of like profile pictures of like Corlys Valerian or Renea, Renea uh, Targaryen or Daemon um, or whatever. But the one that, that was the most interesting I felt like was a lot of people sitting around a throne with one uh, very old looking king. And we have to assume who this is. The location seems in some degree of uncertainty, though. Yeah, so this is and this is this is kind of the non-spoilery part, and the reason it's non-spoilery is because you're going to get this in about the first five minutes of the first episode, yeah. I think. Uh, so King the first Targaryen. Jaehaerys the first, the greatest Targaryen king of all time, other than Robert Baratheon, the greatest. Um, he's the man, King Jaehaerys, the good, the conciliator. Mm-hmm. He's uh he's the guy who created the King's Road. He brought Dorne into the fold. He did everything. Well, we're going to get, I think we're going to pick up the series toward the end of his reign and the Great Council, which is really fucking exciting. I mean, effectively, it's the the Targaryen king that actually governed. We had a series of conquerors. We had a series of true assholes. 
and that we actually had one that decided, huh, maybe this is a realm that actually should be run to a certain degree. Let's try that for a change. So King Jeharis lived to be 69 years old. Nice. 69 years old. <laughs> um, and he ruled for 55 years. That means he started when he was 14 years old. And 69 in this world is pretty old. I mean, not everybody is, is our good yes. Walter Frey. I mean, he getting to 69 is a kind of a big number to throw on the board um, in this medieval world where everybody's got gout and infections and there's war and there's poison and there's dragons and there's all this shit that can murder you. Um, he got to 69, which is a pretty good pretty good existence, I think. So, but anyway, the, the thing with, with King Jaehaerys is that he uh, he did not have a natural heir, so he had to have, in typical J King Jaehaerys fashion, he decided, I will not decide this in a vacuum. I'm going to have the Great Council. I'm going to pull everybody together. Uh, we're going to do this at Hall. And the cool part about this part is that there were so many people at Hall that in the world of ice and fire, Martin describes that it, it that at the time of the Great Council, it became the fourth largest largest city in Westeros. So it sort of swelled. It's kind of what happens during the Olympics, right? Like so many people come during the Olympics that all of a sudden now, like Atlanta, Georgia is like bigger than Boston or whatever, you know, whatever the number is. Um, so it's kind of kind of going to be a neat thing. One of the things we have learned that they have said this, they are putting it out there. They don't mind if you know. They don't think this affects your your viewing of it that they don't consider this spoilery spencer buckle up i don't think you know this news i think you're going to be excited this will be told in a linear fashion this will not they we, we will not have flashbacks we will not this is point a How to novel. point z i know <laughs> i was so fucking hyped when i because i was like the potential for flashbacks and multiple timelines was going to ruin this thing. And yeah. they are just going to go point A to point Z in a linear fashion. When we get the Great Council, we get the Great Council. When we get other th events in this history, they are going to happen in that subsequent timeline. So I, I have to wonder then, um, how much do you bet we're going to see then of Viserys the, the First's reign over the course of this show? Are they going to yada yada a few decades to focus more on what we expect out of the Dance of Dragons? Or do we think we're actually going to get some time with it? First episode, I think. First, I don't yeah. Think. Yeah, because, I mean, look how old he looks in the picture. Well, not not Jaharis the first, but the guy that is appointed by the Great Oh, Viserys. Viserys, yeah. maybe, I don't know, maybe a season or something like that. We'll, we'll get a, I don't picture him necessarily... Well, we'll get to that more in spoilers. I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to spend too much time necessarily with him. Yeah, and... They have also indicated, um, and this mostly comes out of the Entertainment Weekly spread, because, you know, like, for some reason, HBO loves to do this. Before a big series, yeah. they Entertainment Weekly, for whatever reason, is the place they go, and they dump a bunch of stuff for us. They're gonna they're thinking four or five seasons for this, which I think is a good number. It could work. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to necessarily just bring it for a full eight seasons like the original no. show. I think that would no. stretch it very, very thin. Like, you know, way, way, way too little butter for way too much, way too much toast. But three, three to five seasons, I think they can make that work. I think they got enough material for it, particularly if they take their time and don't rush the early game of it, which I don't think they're going to do. Yeah, I think your worry was they were going to do like one or two seasons, right? Uh, and yeah, that is just almost hitting just a high notes kind of thing of where, okay, let's just focus on the very exciting battles and do nothing else. And, you know, that's entertaining television, but there's a lot more to offer here. Yeah. And for the, like, so the original Game of Thrones, the first seasons one through about five was based off of five books mm -hmm. that were about six to 700 pages in trade paperback form. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of source material to go through. So they, their job there was dumping stuff. Like what, can, what are we not what going can we to cut show? Down. So much, there was so much there. This is, this story is being built off of about 200 pages of total source material, 200, 250. I mean, it's, it's also to a certain degree. One of the, one of the interesting things they're going to have to resolve when it comes to the show is that Martin's written a fair amount about this in different locations. Like he's written novellas, he's written short stories, he's put them in larger compediums. But each one's like told from a different perspective and they don't right. all perfectly overlap. So one of the big things they're going to decide in this show is not only what they want to depict, but how they want to tell it in terms of whose account they want to now deem gospel. Because I don't think on a television show format you necessarily can say, well, there were three different versions of what happened in that room at that time and no one's sure what happened. 
They kind of have to pick one for a, like a visual medium. Which is why it's so exciting that Martin is involved, right? So, yeah. like, Martin did not write the script, so all the Winds of Winter people who are angry that that's not out yet, <laughs> chill not out. Distracted. He didn't write the script. Yeah. However, the scripts were run by him. Yeah. And he advised. And so, like, the people who were writing the scripts would come to him, um, and he would give inputs. He would explain things. They would kind of write it, flesh it out, send it back to him. That sort of thing. So he's intimately involved. He's so involved that he is going to go to the San Diego Comic-Con for the first time in like 10 years and push this thing. Mm. So he's going to sit on a panel in San Diego Comic-Con with Miguel Sapochnik, with the other Brian Connell, with all of the other folks related to this um, That's the show. Sign. And yeah, and, and, and talk about it. I mean, he's talked on his, George R. R. Martin keeps a blog and on his blog, he's talked about. Not a blog. He's t- yeah, it's not a blog. He's talked about having seen the first three, four, five episodes and how much he really likes it and, and, and really appreciates it. He thinks that I think he's specifically said that where they've de- deviated from source material, he thinks they've made improvements, which mm. is something that you, he used to say about Game of Thrones in the early seasons. Obviously, he quit saying that toward the end, but um, <laughs> about, about season four ish, he stopped talking as much about that. Right. So he thinks so far he's really into it, which tells me that like, you know, whatever his like his idea of what the events were, I think he's been able to clearly communicate to the people putting the show on. So, well, before we jump into the spoilers part, I do want to ask you about what do you have anything more, more here? Well, I, I, please address yours. and I've got another production question to ask you as well. No, let's do yours first, because mine, mine takes it a tangent. Mine's, mine's okay. a, a well, left field thing. It, this is a question just in terms of goals here that first season game of thrones the live watchership which is the main thing that hbo can measure was between like two and three million people per episode season eight game of thrones live watchership ranged between like 10 and 15 million which just shows how meteoric the rise of the show was what do you think hbo wants here and expects here in terms of the measurable numbers of watchers going into season one of this new show that is effectively they're trying to market as their new flagship show to replace the prior flagship that was Game of Thrones. Well, one thing to remember is that everywhere, live viewership numbers are going down. The means everywhere. by which we watch things has fundamentally changed, yes. But it is still a data point that HBO cares about, given their sure. subscription. I mean, I, I don't know. I would guess if they could get to five, that would be really, really good. I don't think HBO In expects five. World. They probably expect three to four. If they can get to five, that's really good, I think. I mean, like, you know, yeah, that, that's my guess. What about you? I, I think I think that's realistic. I don't think that people aren't watching things live anymore. They're watching them at their own leisure. The streaming format has made that a delightfully easy enterprise. And so yeah. live viewership is not really the same judge of whether a show is popular or not. I also think they are kind of expecting to a certain degree that it's been a, it's been a bit of time. We have no carryover cast members. We have no, we're not even in the same, you know, effectively century of the events in question that we previously had watched. People are going into this to a certain degree from a foundational floor again. And something for us to debate, I wonder to what degree they're even counting on a readership fan base. Because I personally suspect that this era and these side materials and novellas and everything else are not as heavily read, not as heavily known, even among the passionate fan base, as the original Game of Thrones was. So, you're right, but I think you're wrong. So, here's what I mean. I think you're right that it, it certainly isn't as... The, 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 stu- the side stuff is not as well read as the main series. 100% you're true. You're right about that. I do think, though, that sometimes I catch you kind of hand-waving fire and blood... Because you didn't, you didn't read it, and I you weren't super it. interested in it. But I mean, it was on like the New York, New York Times bestseller, like number one list for like two months. It has sold a ton of copies. A lot of people have read that. Not as many as have read a Sword of Storm of Swords or Feast for Crows. You're right about that. But I do think there's a middle ground that that is the reality here, which is more people probably have read this than I think maybe you would anticipate based on like when you read five pages of it and were like, this is not for me. It's true. Because there's so many people that, well, there is, there's a subset of people who don't mind that format, right? But mm-hmm. I think the majority of people just were so starved for Game of Thrones stuff that they read it anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's perfectly fair. I mean, And I think it's also fair to say that in terms of what Martin has been writing recently 
this has kind of dominated his attention and focus, or seemingly even interest. I mean, he has written more about this era than he has written about the main series over the last 10 years. And I think that's a fair summary. Well, it, we don't really know how much he's written about it, but published, yes. <laughs> we we um, can confirm that he has written published. on the subject. You're 100% right, yes. I, although he has been talking a lot about Winds of Winter Long recently. lately, yeah. So More so I than think he has he's, in years. I think he's made some progress on Winds of Winter. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that speculation yet, but I do think he's made some progress on Winds of Winter based on how he's talking. But yeah, you're right. He did confirm with us the Fire and Blood 2, the second, the compendium of the second half of the Targaryen reign will be after Winds of Winter. So um, yeah, I mean, it's probably an easier thing to write. You know, he's just like vomiting out the history in the, the voice of an archmaester as opposed to having to put together those really complicated POV char- character or POV chapters, which he does in the main series. But yeah, he's, he clearly is very interested in this period of, of history from his world. Yeah. And it, he's in the, he's in the category of writers that he's already fleshed this out. Part of a foundational, the series was fleshing out the understanding of the universe. The series is operating in, in terms of its history, in terms of its culture, in terms of who's ruled where and what effect that they had, because all of it influences the current events. He's the kind of writer I like in that regard. So it makes it kind of easy to effectively write an appendix when you already have all the notes because you needed the notes to write the main series. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. I can see how that would be f- uh, that would be a fun enterprise just to effectively add a bit of flesh to the structure the, the structure and bones you already put together. So before we jump to the spoilery part of this, where we'll also do predictions, let's talk about the news of the other potential spinoffs of Game of Thrones that have been talked is- about. So... <laughs> So there's three that I want to really talk about here. One is 10,000 Ships, um, which I believe is about the sea snake Dorn. and his voyages. Yeah. What? Um, no, no, no. Dorn. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10,000 Ships. And then I think there is, there's, there's four, really. I think there's also one about the sea snake voyages, mm-hmm. um, where that which will inform the start of this show, which is Corliss Valerian and him going out and becoming the richest person in Westeros of, of his time and the whole thing. Yeah, second most powerful three, realm. Three, Dunkin' Egg is, <laughs> they are they are in pre, pre-production of Dunkin' Egg. They're talking about it. And finally, the big one, that the which was the massive news in the last couple of months about Game of Thrones, is the show with the working title Snow, which is a follow actual follow on to Game of Thrones after the events of Game of Thrones, following Jon Snow. Entirely unwritten material. Everything everything else you said has a grounding in history, has a as a you know a basis of stuff Martin has written. I'm willing to doubt Martin has written anything about what Snow did after none. the end of the main series, particularly since he hasn't finished the main series yet. No, none, and he's not going to write it. He's not interested in writing that. Like when when that when the a dream uh, of spring ends that he doesn't want to write anymore. This was brought to HBO by Kit Harrington. He wants to do it. He has an entire writing team that he's pulled together. And I guess he's paying out of, he's going to be an executive producer of this. He's, so he's paying that team has gone to Santa Fe and talked to Martin about this. Martin seems on board with it. He's given his blessing to HBO for it. it seems to be moving forward. What's your thoughts about snow? Of the ones you've just said, it's the one I have the most doubts about. Uh, it has the least foundation in anything Martin has written. In fact, it's going to be effectively directly against probably anything that Martin is going to write. And I don't know where it can go that isn't going to tread old ground. That there's going to be a desire to do some exciting, some overarching plot, some major nemesis that Snow can now rise up to, you know, find his new place and oppose. And I don't know how that's just not going to fall into the same path they did before. If they bring back up the White Walkers again and he fights oh, the they White will. Walkers, I think that's going to be a mistake and I think that's going to be dumb. So it, it, of the ones that you've said, it's the one that I'm most kind of giving a slant-eyed glance about because I think it can fall into a lot of observable, predictable problems in terms of what path they're going to tread. So there's a poll um, of... Game of Thrones fans on Twitter that a bunch of very popular Game of Thrones fans accounts like reposted to ensure they got a pretty big spread of people voting on it. Of those four, Game of Thrones fans voted on which one they're most excited about. Which one do you think won? Probably Snow, just given bringing back Kit Harrington and getting the excitement of it. Is it not that, you, though? You have no faith in Game of Thrones fans. Duncan A, <laughs> by a mile. Oh, by a mile. Christ. I'm so happy to hear it. Because that's obviously close. the one. 
Obviously, that's the one I'm most excited about. I have been jonesing. I wanted Dunkin' Egg to be their new show. I wanted Dunkin' Egg to be the next show that they would do, but specifically, Martin was opposed to it. And I'm amazed that he's apparently come around differently on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he has, but yeah, he, apparently he's cool with, with them doing um, some Dunkin' Egg stuff. I don't know if that's going to be like movies or maybe a season and then they wait a couple years to see if they get more Dunkin' Egg source material. I don't know what they're going to do. Number two was Snow on that list, but it was like way behind. Like Dunkin' Egg was like 55% of votes. Like So the Game of Thrones community is more excited about Dunkin' Egg than Snow. I'm more excited about Snow because I didn't hate Game of Th- eight, season eight Game of Thrones. I like the idea of jumping back into the world. I like the idea of like there being some sort of new threat in the north and John having to go back down into Westeros and talk to King Bran and figure out what they're going to do about it and try to pull together Bran's uh, army to 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 fight this thing. I like the idea of Bran, did Bran find Drogon? Has he been able to tame Drogon? What's going on over in Essos? What's going on with, uh, you know, um, what's his nuts? Um, the guy that Daenerys left behind to rule Marine. Maybe maybe we figure out what's going well, on with him it, over in Marine. There's so many whole, cool things that they can do. It, it, it's going to be a shock. It's going to be a whole new actor, I'm sure, playing Dario Naharis. Oh, well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll skim right over that, I'm sure. But <laughs> I mean, like, he's actually if, a face changer. I don't know if they want to do like, Get White Walkers, but some sort of threat from the north that causes John to come back down to talk to Bran, to talk to Sansa, to try to pull everybody back together to fight this thing. All about it. I'm all about it. Love hey, it. Love that idea. The four shows you mentioned rank for me right now in level of excitement how they would go from mo- your most excited to your least excited. Snow one, Dunkin' Egg two. No, Dunkin' Egg one, Snow two. It's close though. Mm-hmm. Three, Sea Snake, four, 10,000 ships. Interesting. Uh, Dunkin' Egg, far and away number one. 10,000 ships would be number two for me because I think there's just so much they can do with that era. And Doran has been done such disservice on the show previously. Yeah, that's fair. I kind of, I kind of want them to actually spend some time with it. Because since it can link into, in some ways, the events they're now doing in House of the Dragon in terms of why the 10,000 ships did what they did and left. Uh, Corlos third, not for any diminishment to it, but I think they're going to kind of tread a lot of it on House of the Dragon anyway, so I don't know how much more it can do to sustain its own show. And then Snow, Snow Last, I think it could be great. I think in some ways it could redeem a lot of the problems I have for Season 8, but I think it's got the one that has the most baggage and the most problems. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Let's conclude this first part of the podcast. So if you are uninitiated, to the entire story of Dance of the Dragons. You do not want to know about it. You want to be unsullied as you go into the premiere. You can drop off right now. We will see you probably maybe one more prep pod. If we don't, then you'll see us for the reaction pod for episode one. But if you either are well-read into Dance of the Dragons or you don't care about being spoiled, you can hang on and follow us for the second part of the discussion. Okay, now we are in spoiler territory, Spencer. So let's talk about these episode names. Uh, yeah. for, I know for you've been are, fascinated by this. Yeah, for those that aren't familiar, a list of episode names was leaked on both Twitter and Reddit. For for a while there, no one could be certain whether they were accurate. But Lee, you told me this morning that at least, like, say, the first three names can be confirmed on HBO's website. So there's hope that these ten names that we have in the episodes are accurate, and that we can actually reliably analyze and predict where the show's going to go for its first season. Do you have them? Do you have them in front of you? I have them up. All right, let's, let's read them. All right, episode episode we'll do one after the we'll do one after the other. Episode one, heirs of the dragon. Heirs of the dragon. So great council, great council. Foundation of the Targaryen legacy. What what's going on? The selection in of Viserys. Effectively, this is going to have to be the introduction of okay, it's a hundred more than a hundred years before anything you've seen before. Let me explain what the hell's going on. It's going to be a touch on Aegon's conquest, probably going through the great council. This is going to be welcome to the new world of Westeros that like you've never seen before kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Episode two, the Rogue Prince. Damon Targaryen. <laughs> that I mean that's what that is. We are going to meet. So them. I think this is going to be Damon. So after this is my guess on this one. After, um, so after the Great Council selected. Viserys, right? Mm-hmm. After the Great Council selected Viserys, Corlys Valerian, who was pushing his own child, Lenor, he fucking soldiered up. 
Like he was ready. He was about ready to go to war about this. And the thing that stopped him, at least that's what's been alluded to in the source material is Damon Targaryen to everyone's surprise at like 20 years old said, let's go. And he got his boys and he was ready to fight the most powerful, richest person, the greatest voyager in all of Westeros. Damon was ready to, to ready to fight Corlys Valerian. And in the in a very weird series of events, Corlys Valerian blinked first. He, he which blinked, you wouldn't expect the Sneesink to do. You know he blinked? They became buddies. Like straight up, this is gonna be a war that's gonna possibly sever you know, com- destroy the seven kingdoms. Because we gotta set up for Corlys Valerian. Corlys Valerian is Tywin Lannister in terms of wealth and influence mixed with like the straight up military power of, you know, the Tyrells, just in terms of the resources he can bring to bear. This is the set fair to say just right after the Targaryens, most powerful guy in the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. In, ter- he, in terms yeah. of his in- influence and potential effect that he can have. And he's threatening war right now. And somehow, Damon Targaryen, who I don't picture as a diplomat in any sense of the word. None. It, the anti-diplomat in many ways is able by staring him straight in the eye and saying, bring it son, not able to get him to calm down, but establish a, 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 a firm alliance that kind of lasts for years afterwards. Corlys Valerian, the Westeros version of, if you can't beat him, join him. Like as soon as it didn't work out, as soon as he couldn't get Laenor on the, on the, um, on the throne, as soon as, you know, Daemon Targaryen said, you want to go to war? We're going to do this. Like the Targaryens don't back down. We still have dragons. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as that happened, he said, okay, well, you know, I do have this daughter. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here you go. Let, let, let me send her to you, uh, and let's let's work this out. So I don't know. Um, and, it, and, yeah. And it also, as we're going to see in episode four here in a second, hey, let's also make a world war and try to conquer our own kingdom. That'll be fun, right? Let's do it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I'm going to love not his daughter. Not his daughter, by the way. I, he was backing Serato Hightower's daughter. Who is going to come up again here in a second. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Valerian, I'm going to be fascinated with the Valerian family in terms of how they're depicted. Because in some ways, they're an independent power base from the Targaryens. They were kind of there practically when the Targaryens were first coming. Up. Before. But yeah, they came before. Targaryens eventually eclipsed them. But in terms of like their, rule, their, their influence in the Stepstones and the connection to Westeros, they're an older Valerian connection than the Targaryens are. Whether they will still be Valerian on the show... Stands to be seen. There have been certain changes, which we have to see where, where they go with those or not. Question for you. Do you think yeah. uh, the Corlys Valerian's family will be introduced as dragon riders? Yes or no? I don't think so. And I think from some of the things I'm reading, they're actually going to change some aspects of the family's backstory uh, to fit some of the changes they're doing with respect to the characters. N- not not bearing the lead. They're black on the show. They are straight up Valerians in, in the books. Whether that's going to be a case of race I don't think they're going to address or- that. I mean, it, we were debating whether this is just going to be purely race-blind casting or whether they're actually going to change the origins of the family. There's been talk online they may actually be changing the background, which that can... If they make out. them from the Summer Isles just because they cast a black guy, I'm going to be so irritated. It stands to be seen. It's, it's very it's uncertain too much focus on race. Like, who gives a... F- like, they just keep... Who cares? Like... Uh, we will see. It's an it's an unanswered question right now. It could work. It could not work. We just don't, at this present, know what they're planning to do with the character. It, it it will be inter- it will be interesting regardless. Um, but ne- next episode on the list, second of his name, Aegon. Viserys. No, I, well, I, no, 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 no. Yeah, it would have to be Aegon, right? Yeah. yeah so Viserys, Viserys the first. So he's I, a Viserys I, the first. So would it have to be the birth of Aegon? Maybe. This is the question of where we don't know how it can't be. A, if it can't be Viserys dead in episode three, that's no, stupid. No, no. Uh, it, it's in my mind. It's got to be Aegon is. Either either Aegon born. is it's it's either Aegon is born or between episodes one and episode two and three we skip like thirty years just in terms. But of remember, how much but when Aegon get but, but when Aegon's born, that in itself is a massive thing because like they, he's already set up Rhaenyra yeah. as his as his heir. So I think the birth probably can be enough to, for an episode title, probably. Yeah, yeah. For our audience that's not familiar, for some reason you want to stick with spoilers, even though you're not familiar. Uh, this is. George, this is George R. R. Martin doing like the pragmatic, pragmatic sanction from our own history of where Viserys did not have a male heir, struggled to have any heirs that survived to adulthood, and so basically took all the lords of Westeros together and said, okay, dudes, you're promising me right now that though this has never happened before, I'm picking my daughter, Rena, to be my heir. And y'all are going to be okay with that, right? Everybody, everybody kneel right now and swear. And we've seen so this seemingly what? the scene of where that's going to happen. 
And what happened is the Lords of Westeros pulled a Spencer and said, <laughs> you what are you asking me to do? And then they said, he, you know, Viserys said, blah, 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 blah. And Spencer said, hmm, yeah, sure, sure. And then, totally. and then you know, and then who knows what he did. You know, you, and then you, off you, doing whatever. You, you said you want to start at 11? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I, I presently think that's fine. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, there basically yeah. is a lot of we'll see hand waving. You know, I don't know that. Um, I think the birth of Aegon is that's enough because yeah. that caused Rhaenyra to flip out. It caused Viserys confusion. It caused a lot of chatter um, out in in the different territory in the different kingdoms. Um, so yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Because Viserys had two wives. He had Randa's mom, and then he had Alicent Hightower. Who is the mother of Aegon and who causes so many disruptions in her own regard, as we'll see here in a second. So One thing they've done differently is they have changed the ages to align the age of Alicent Hightower with Rhaenyra Targaryen. So they're the same age, they grow up together. I mean... Yes. That, that, that is an interesting... I kind of like that, given the, the direct obtentions between the Greens and the Blacks that the two are representing. I mean, Alicent Hightower was kind of immortal in terms of her just not aging and staying attractive in a way that Rena didn't throughout all of her life, so they can work with that anyway. But I kind of like that the two of them are being peers and rivals from even before the marriage started. That could be fun. So then some of the early episodes, I think we get them as kids just hanging out and being buddies, which could, will change the dynamic. That's, that, I think that's a smart change. I, I think it makes sense for the, just the, wanting to focus on the idea of the greens and the blacks being at each other's you know, next the entire way through. Establish that they've been, you know, aware of each other from even long before her dad married her. It's also going to create a bit of discomfort that the dad married somebody that's her age. So we'll see how that goes. Um, fourth nah. episode. It's like that. That's like the sixth weirdest thing we've seen from the Targaryen family and their their marriage. Arguing from a Tar- Targaryen perspective, he married a non-Targaryen. Dear God, the scandal. Question uh, for you, Spencer. Yeah. Do you think? They are going to sully the good name of my guy, Jaehaerys the First, by actually having young, young, young Allison Hightower be his lover right before he dies. I hope not. I hope not. Keep, keep, so it's keep. A, so the, the way it's written in a world of ice and fire and fire and blood is unkinder. Like they they describe it as unkinder chatter, unkinder whispers say that Allison was King Jaehaerys' lover. It, but the more generally accepted story is that. She was just a young girl who was taking care of the king. She was just like there, like basically being a nurse. I I would prefer if they keep the just almost beatific image of Jaehaerys. I think it yeah. it's always, it serves the story and serves the realm if he is just appearing like you know friggin' Aragorn as king as king of the reunited kingdom and Lord of the Rings kind of shit. Shout out. Uh, episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. It's one of the things we talked about. <laughs> the, this, I'm presuming, is where we're going to get Damon being bored, Corlys being a buddy, and they basically just decide, you know what? Let's just create a new world empire. Stepstones are there. They're not doing anything. Let's take them over. Sure, we'll have to fight half the free cities in the process, but, you know, YOLO. Yeah, this is Damon Targaryen, who's a great character, turning heel and saying, hey, uh, new king. Like, fuck my brother. Fuck everybody. Like, I'm going to take over the Stepstones. I'm going to be the new king. I'm going to do my thing. And he actually goes out there and he is pretty badass for a little while. Um, it doesn't doesn't work. last long. He eventually, it all culminates with Daemon Targaryen um, coming to the Red Keep. No one knowing any fucking idea what he's going to do. People thinking it's about to pop off. And Daemon shocking the world, getting down on one knee. And handing over his his King of the Narrow Sea um, uh, crown over to his brothers for series and coming back into the fold. It's a, it, that's going to be a wildly dramatic moment. Damon's a fascinating character because he's so multifaceted. There's so much going on that is different and unexpected, even in-universe, of where everyone always, with some justification, assumes the worst out of Damon, which allows him to surprise them all the damn time in terms of what he ultimately chooses to do. He's going to be that's- such a fun character. Matt Smith is, again, I've said before, he's not physically what I had all imagined for Damon Targaryen, but he's an excellent actor, and I'm hoping that he can bring it. Because he, in some ways, is, for me, the most interesting character in this entire medium of what we're talking about on this show. Uh, So, yeah, seeing Damon and Corlys just try to conquer the world, fighting all the... They ended up fighting, like, four of the free cities, right? Like, the the Triarchy, Mm -hmm. plus, I think, also Braavos, and... At least straight up at the start, one, because, you know, dragons. 
And Didn't beat Bravos though, but yeah, I know. Yeah, they they were they were very successful. One thing I don't remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. Viserys and the Seven Kingdoms did not support no Damon in disregard. They kind of just let him. I think this is all Viserys basically just saying, "Oh, Damon needs something to distract him. Just let him." No, do his own no, thing. it's actually the opposite. So when by the time the word got to Viserys, he was outraged. And he was angry at his brother, and he actually brought his brother in to heal. He basically told his brother, like, if you keep this up, Dude. like, I, we, I'm taking, like, the royal fleet, and I'm coming to get you. And that's what prompted Damon to come back to the Red Keep and then to have this big dramatic moment where Damon come, eventually kneels and gives the, the king back. But, yeah, it, I mean, I think it does kind of start like you say, which is, Sirius is out of loop. He doesn't really know what his brother's doing. Yeah, and then he catches word, and he is pissed. He doesn't like it. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it started to a certain degree of where, ah, well, Damon just does what Damon does. It'll be fine. And then suddenly it becomes a massive international war that's threatening to draw the Seven Kingdoms into it. And Viserys, who is always trying to be the good king, calm every down, consular, is not okay with this. And I hope they address the fact that, like, him doing this really impacts trade for Westeros because they trade with Essos all the time and the Stepstones, uh, you know, with a lot of the the stuff like the food they get so it like actually has a tangible like logistical impact on the people of westeros what he's what he's doing i mean it shows also that coros valerian what a gambler he is because the man's incredibly wealthy because he basically controls trade between westeros essos and the rest of the world he that the narrow sea is kind of already his domain so the fact well, that other people are starting to infringe on it was one of the things that, prob- that probably drew him into the conflict but shows how much he's wanted to roll the dice to effectively protect his power and influence well, it's column A and column B because, yeah, he does control some trade and he does have the largest fleet and he, you know, he sells those ships and they, you know, that makes money oh, yeah. from that. But he, he, he got his wealth, he, like he got his star starter money by going to the fucking ass end of the world out near um, the greatest city that ever was and ever will be. And even going beyond Karth and loading up every ship he had with gold God knows where he got it from. And then just showing back up with like Truly. 30 ships full of gold and then saying, hey, look, here's here's how I'm going to start my investment firm. Yeah, the- <laughs> and then he has all these ships. And yeah, so he I mean, he's something else. And it, the fact that he teams up with Damon, you know, I had to kind of, you know, I hope they I hope they show Viserys worried because Damon at that point was the logic like he was, I think, third in line or second in line, but depending on how you thought of it. Yeah. So if you're the Greens. He's probably second in line because he's after Aegon. Particularly in their man. paranoia. Particularly their paranoia about him, too, is always assuming that he was the one that was directing things or influencing things or controlling things. And if you're a black, he's probably third in line behind Renea and Aegon. But either way, he's he's very much in the line of a succession, and he's a, he's a huge player. It's important to note that with respect to Corus is that he effectively did what Euron's bragging Euron did, and yet we actually know that Corlys did it, whereas Euron's yep. probably at least significantly full of shit. Alright, episode five. We light the way. House, house Hightower's words. What what do we assume is probably going to happen in this episode? House, uh, Allison making moves? I think this is the stare down that we got in the trailer of Damon and Serato Hightower. And I think it's when Alicent starts going, not Alicent, but Serato Hightower starts going sure. to other people in the kingdom to try to rally support for this concept of, Hey, remember that thing we did where we all got on one knee and we said that Renary was going to be, can How we talk about we, that? Yeah. How much were you really okay with that? You know, just, you know, we got a guy, he's here. Happens to be my grandson. Aegon. Yeah, Aegon the Aegon. second. Yeah, so I think it's probably a lot of like, like conniving and and just, that'll be a discussion episode. I I think the next one's going to set that up too because episode six, the princess and the queen. Greens and the blacks are squaring off. There is tension. This may even be around the circumstances of where uh, didn't Re- remind me. Didn't Reyna actually have a son herself that she named Aegon, which the Greens took very personally? Yes. And she did that because she knew the threat that her brother had to her. And so, and she, but she also knew the power of the name Aegon. She's so pissed at his dad, her dad for naming him Aegon. And so she, she had herself a little Aegon um, and everybody was like, nice try. I don't, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, by was, the way, can we settle? Can, look, 
are how are we going to do this podcast? I mean, I'm te- I'm a black. I am Team Renera. I can't hard even, as it gets. Not I even close. Even pre- I can't even pretend to be a green dude. It's going to be straight up blacks. We're just okay, so then we're the okay. We're just both. Yeah, we're just all right. Wait, that, well, it's way to do no- it. If nothing else, the blacks have the winter wolves. They've got those just crazy bastards just throwing themselves into into uh, Lannister spears. How can I, I not? I thought you were gonna actually go with the greens because sometimes you do that. You do with you you kind of go with the like the practical mind of like, oh. look, hey, I'm I'm obviously for women being able to rule, but in this world, it doesn't make like I I thought you were gonna go down that road. No, no, I'm all in favor of the pragmatic sanction here. They made a promise. It was it was it was going to work out great. They're greens effectively. They're they're usurpers. They launched a coup. And so many of their problems are self-inflicted. I mean, they're always working under the assumption of we can't let the blacks take over because they'll kill us all. And that's, a, a, a profound assumption that they don't necessarily have evidence for. And B, ultimately entirely proves self-proving based on the actions that they take. Yeah. The Greens are compli- complicated people. There's a lot of their supporters that I like. It's a war of where there are good people and bad people on both sides, which makes it exciting but I'm straight up team black and I can't be any other way. Yeah. Alison Hightower can fuck right off. All right. So here is from the source material, the, the, here's what I wanted to talk about with, with Lord Valerian, with Corbett Valerian. So many ships of Westeros had sailed as far as Carth to trade for spices and silk. Nope. But he dared to go, he dared to go farther, reaching the fabled lands of Yi Ti and Ling, whose wealth doubled that of house Valerian in a single voyage. Nine great voyages were made upon the sea snake. Sea snake, by the way, name of his ship and his nickname. Yeah. On the last, Corliss filled the ship's hold with gold and brought 20 more ships, bought 20 more ships at Carth, loading them with spices, elephants, and the finest silks. Some were lost and the elephants died at sea. That's why we don't, we still don't get elephants. Cersei's still pissed. We still don't get elephants. We we never get elephants. According at Maester uh, Matthews, the nine voyages, but the wealth that remained made House Valerian the richest in the realm. So that's that when he comes back from Yi-Ti with 21 ships, that's when he's the richest guy in the world. Yeah, I mean, and Yi-Ti, this is kind of the only, like, he's the only guy we know has been there. It's We've heard, like, it described by various people, including certain red sorceresses that I love, as being this just weird shadow killed kingdom where children are never bored and there's all kinds of horrible things. This dude went there, traded, and brought back wealth. This is how awesome this guy is. He's the best. Love the sea snake. Huge fan. Uh, speaking of the sea snake, episodes seven and eight feel very much sea snakey, of where they're entitled Driftmark, his house seat, and Lord of the Tides. Both of these so seem dr- kind of aimed at his house to a certain degree. So Driftmark is probably... Here's another section from A World of Ice and Fire. Corliss Valerian became a lord after his grandsire's death and used his wealth to raise a new seat, High Tide, to replace the damp, cramped castle Driftmark and house the ancient Driftwood throne. So this is probably when he moves from Driftmark to High Tide and when, the when, Driftwood throne goes there. Um, when, this, when, yeah, that, so this is... Yeah, this that, is... Go ahead. Would that fit in the timeline we're talking about here in terms of building up to the war? Because I was yeah, I a little bit so. earlier. I think I think it would, um, but it, yeah, it might be one of those things they change too. I don't know. That, that was my guess on those those, those parts. Because what else is he doing in Driftmark? Hard to say. Lord of the Tides again probably is just people fighting over his influence, trying to see which camp he's going to support, try to draw him in because he's he's the the most powerful chip on the board that everybody wants to try to curry favor with. Um, ep- episode nine is the Green Council. There it is. Viserys is dead. Yep, the, the he Green dies Council's in episode making, nine. He, does he yep. die in episode nine? Or does he die in episode? Got eight? to they ha, look. Miguel Sapochnik, Game of Thrones alum, he knows what we expect. We, <laughs> we expect the pin ultimate episode, episode nine. Episode nine has to be the big mover and shaker. That's moving day. It's like in golf. It's golf typically four day tournament. Moving day is Saturday, not Sunday. <laughs> it's moving day on episode nine. Okay. Uh, well, the, the key question we've got to ask here is that the Green Council is when <laughs> the certain members of the Greens plus Kristen Cole essentially put the small council in a room and say, so, everyone's backing us, right? And one dude, Lyman Beesbury, says the gall to say, no, the, ma- the master of coin, is the guy with the biggest guts in Westeros apparently, says, we all promised we're supporting Reyna. 
what are you talking about? This is bullshit. I'm leaving. And this is another moment of what I'll be curious. I'm assuming that they're going to go with the account of Kristen Cole walks up behind him and turns him into a human Pez dispenser. That's one account of what happened. The other more boring account is, well, he was arrested and placed in a tower. No, Kristen Cole cut his throat. Kristen Cole cut his throat. For sure. Uh, For those that aren't familiar, Kristen Cole was the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. He also had a multi-year relationship with Rena. And two of them were very close, and he was... Would you say bitter that she married somebody else? Yeah. So he, um, Rhaenyra, yeah, there was, a, first off, Rhaenyra was gorgeous when she was young and which was, which we will see the beauty of the in realm. the show. And she obviously had Chris, Sir Kristen Cole as a bed, somebody who, who shared a bed with her until she got married that he was, ended up being spurned lover. He ends up being on the, the side of Alicent Hightower. And what one of her most powerful supporters in that regard? This man, this is a man of impressive ability and impressive influence in his own. Which life. we see a mental and physical decay of Renera through this entire process, and it makes a lot of sense because her former lover, some say her true love, she married out of obligation. She loved Sir Kristen Cole, is on the other side fighting her. Her best friend from youth, Alison Hightower, is on the other side fighting her taking what is rightfully hers and that causes extreme mental deterioration in Rhaenyra. It, it also interesting to see how, how they choose to show Aegon II's role and desires when it comes to this because most of the accounts kind of say that Aegon II was not necessarily that in on this to start. That he Question actually had for to, you. Yeah. If they recast the kid who played Tommen and also played the Lannister kid from Game of Thrones... <laughs> For Aegon the Second, because they haven't shown Aegon in the in the anything. It would fit. <laughs> fit I mean, because he's Tommen, basically. In my mind, he's he's an, he's Tommen from the show. The, Tommen in the books is very different. Yeah. When I'm I king like of my own Tommen right, I'm when I'm king of my own right, I'm an outlaw. Beats. beats, fuck beats. Everybody hates beats. God damn it. That's the that's the Tommen I like in the book. But at the Tommen in cat. the show. Tommen in the show is older and he doesn't have a lot of desire to rule. And he's just a genuinely sort of reasonable young kid. That's how I think they're going to portray Aegon until the war starts when he gets mad and he starts getting vengeful on his dragon. Yeah. Then he kind of comes into his own. Because you hear at the start, I mean, Kristen Cole basically has to pull him inside and says, so you're the king now. Like, I don't want to be the king. No, you're the king now. Otherwise, the blacks will kill all of you. Here's a crown. I'm going to put it on your head now. That's... Kind of like the strong arming they have to do with him. If I remember the history right. Yep. I that is very Tommy vibes from the show. Of just like this is a pawn that people are going to manipulate in any way that they see fit, and the Greens certainly do. So that's episode nine. That's going to be a boss of an episode. Uh, in terms of boss of an episode, episode ten, the Black Queen. Yep. So this is when she catches word. She so Renera is pregnant and in the middle of childbirth when all this goes down. Green Council goes down, Viserys dies. They name Aegon the king. She is on Dragonstone and she loses her shit. And I think the baby yeah. dies, doesn't? Then the baby die. She goes fucking crazy. And so I think that's what's going to be episode 10. Yeah, she, she suffers an incredibly difficult pregnancy. She's almost incapacitated for a period afterwards. She's hearing that all of her supporters in King's Landing have been arrested at a minimum. Uh, and she basically holds her own counsel when she's able to physically able to do so and says, okay. So they've sent me peace terms that they're trying to buy me off. Obviously, I'm not doing that. Let's hey, rally no. the banners. Get- I hope. So Emma Darcy plays older Rhaenyra, which will be the Rhaenyra who is pregnant on Dragonstone when all this goes down. I hope they, I hope they portray, like I hope Emma portrays Rhaenyra as as boss as I think of her because what I think of her is gets up off of the birthing table, walks out and screams for five straight years. Like that's how, like she is so like, she's overcome angry. She actually gets on her dragon and flies right into the fucking red keep. Like that's where, that's how, that is my queen. She says, what did you, what are you doing? She gets on her dragon. She drives, she flies right. She drops right in the middle of the castle. Like that is the boss shit. So I hope they, I hope they do that. 
um, with the character and 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 Renera is his boss as I think she's going to be during that period. In some ways, this is their opportunity to do Danny right. This is their opportunity to do Danny the way that they wanted to, but kind of rushed. And that this is a person of supreme ability, supreme ability, su- uh, su- uh, supreme ability, supreme beauty, supreme respect among the realm. And watching her descent into madness as the world turns against her and things don't go the way she wanted. Yeah. And th- th- that's they the Danny story. Right- it's the Danny story and they could do that over multiple seasons. They've set it up early enough. And though there were signs of it earlier, once we have the black council, once we have her just, as you said, straight up screaming at the tides for a few days, this is when everyone's suddenly going, Ooh, okay. Let's see how this plays out in terms of her level of stability and control going forward. Okay. So they released HBO released. This is an actual HBO picture. Emma Darcy as Rhaenyra Targaryen standing in front of a dragon's head. <laughs> I saw that and was oh, like, God. what the fuck, HBO? It, it, that is hilarious. You know what? That's like, um, I don't even know what that's like. That's like that's like a, a season one promo picture of Ned Stark, um, like just like just rubbing his neck. Just, oh, God, I just got a, I I got a so crink in my neck. I don't know. It's like it's so, like the foreshadowing is strong with this. Dude, one. explain to the audience what is the, I mean, they're framing this as being heroic. Oh, my God, she's got the dragons behind her. But what do we know this is implying? She gets eaten. They, Aegon's, Aegon's dying dragon eats her. Uh, and let's 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 also remember dragons cook their food. So he not only eats her, he gives her a full on charcoaling in front of her son and heir, yep. and then eats her in front of the court. And then and eats her. All, yep. There is no there's no Rhaenyra there's no Rhaenyra ashes. There's no nothing. She's at the bottom of the belly of a dead dragon. Yeah. Sunfire is eating her, and Sunfire is also you know dying at this time. Sunfire is crippled. Aegon the Second is practically a crippled husk of a barely surviving on more. He has part of his armor melted into his into skin. Him. He's a cyborg, practically, in terms of the amount of metal. He's Darth Vader. Fused in, yes, after Mustafar. This, I'm expecting we're going to wait like three or four seasons to get this, but it's one of the most moments I'm waiting for most of all, because it is such a wonderfully symbolic moment of, this is what remains of House Targaryen right now. These are the two people that are fighting. One is barely alive. The other one's not going to leave this room alive. Killed by a dragon that is itself crippled, will never fly again, and dies like a month from now. Welcome to what remains of the house going forward. And by the way, the guy who, quote, won, was so disliked that he was poisoned on the way home. So, it's all shit. (laughs) It's just all shit. Which, again, why I love the blacks so much. The surviving black, effectively, leadership then walk in and say, well, that's a crime that must be punished. Execute the people that executed it. Uh, yep. if we don't get if we don't get the, the yeah yeah the voice, blacks go the blacks go wait a second you poison the king and they're, they're like, everybody's like what are you we, we, we he's thought not, you wanted he, that no no we didn't and matter of fact we're going to come and kill everybody involved the, the, you know what this is going to remind me of if they do this right another favorite show of ours Rome this is going to be Caesar when they present Pompey's head and he just stands up and says he was a consul of Rome and just gets pissed at them it's like. But he was your enemy. We thought you were helping. It's like, no, 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 no. Give me the head of the person that did this, and then we'll talk. Yeah, that's that is going. Boy, you talk about a fucking shoulder to knee curveball for the audience when that what, happens. What, They're going to be so. Most of the audience is going to be so confused by that. Man, it, it's, it's it's perfect. Episode nine, episode ten transition of where episode nine is of that season is Rainier Diary. Dying, eaten in front of her son, barbecued alive. That's what's going to happen. I don't, do you think they're going to do the, the the actual barbecue? I think it would be. I think I think it's going to be hard to do. I don't think they're going to want to show like a corpse being. I think they're just going to have her be eaten. That's my guess. I hope they go full on fire. I want to make this hurt. I want to see oh the boy. fire. I want to see NC seventeen. I want to see the fire glowing in Aegon the Third's eyes as he watches his mom get fried in front of him. Based because that is important. The fact that she is cooked and eaten in front of him affects a lot about his opinion of dragons going forward it matters and then episode 10 that season is hour of the wolf and i'm here for it i hope and pray that would be dope yeah so there you go there's the um i think we did a little bit of predictions as we went in there but do you have any any major predictions for the first season and what we'll see if this proves true this is everything i hoped for because this is a season one of game of thrones of where they're not 
going through this faster than they need to. They are setting up events. They are setting up characters. They are diligently arranging the pieces on the board to then knock them off. And that's the way that you should do for a season one of where you trust your source material and trust yourself to properly pace it and properly set it out. So I, if these episode titles are true, which, you know, we can't confirm right now, but eh, we're getting more evidence for this is the proper pacing I want to start this show off with to be a perfect three, four, five episode uh, season show. I think this is the right move. I think this is the right pacing and structure. And if this goes effectively from the council to the beginnings of the war, I think that's the perfect material for an opening opening salvo of this show. I think there's a parallel to season one Game of Thrones because they waited until the the tor- sort of the toward the end of season one to kill Bobby B. Um, <laughs> and Ned. Yeah, and then, and then to have the big the big switcheroo with Ned dying, setting up all of the events. The big switcheroo here will not be an individual death, I don't think. I think it'll be more of the Green Council and the appointing of Aegon II as, as the king, which will be, in effect, the killing of Ned, meaning it will set up all of the later conflict <clears throat> of the series. And so the, the, there's parallels to the pacing, for sure. Um, I think that the main, main thing that we're going to see that's going to be very different than the source material, I think, is a huge focus on the characters of Corliss Valeria and Alicent Hightower. I think from everything we're seeing in the promotional material and the actors and the discussions of the show, it seems like there's, you know, Corliss Valerian is, in the story, very, very interesting. Sea Snake's very interesting, but he's sort of an outside character. He's kind of opaque. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he's going to be an inside guy for all of this series, and I think that we're going to get POVs in the show, scenes of Halicent Hightower. Like, we're going to see her and her thoughts, her actions, because how else are they going to do the Green Council without having POV scenes of Halicent Hightower? I... I... I think it's very smart for them to do that. And I fact, it sets up something that you desperately want as a showrunner. You want your fan base effectively fighting each other in investment between sides in your show. Yes. And if they can actually characterize and build up the greens as being somebody that people actually want to support and people want to, you know, hashtag Allison forever on Twitter, that is what they want more than anything. They want that kind of fan investment. And that's going to require them to characterize them. And I think, like, from the episode titles we saw... With episode five and episode six being We Light the Way and Princess and the Queen, that is a time to give Allison her day in the light, to give her time to belt, develop as a character. Particularly, as you said, if they make her a, a similar age to Rhaenyra and have the two of them grow up together. And then episode Because that's seven, trouble eight, right now, right? That's trouble. Like, you, what you're pointing out is is the trouble that, that I, if I sat down with Miguel Sapochnik um, and, and, and Brian, was it Brian Cogman, I think, is doing it. Uh, yeah. I, if we sat down with them right after the show was announced and we were writing, I think both of us would say you have to find a way to get this more balanced in the fandom because right now the way Martin wrote it, everyone is a black. Like, so you got to figure out a way to get people to be a green. And that means building up Alison Hightower as someone who has rational, um, empathetic concerns and motivations, and then breaking down the character of Renera as being, unnecessarily cruel and uh, impulsive and Cersei-esque. Yeah. You've got to justify the fears of the Greens to at least some degree. They can't be just entirely talking out their ass. But you also need to make them a player in their own right. You can't just make Rhaenyra suck because that no one's going to be invested in any way. You've got to make some kind of viable alternative that people actually can consider. And then for episodes 7 and 8, like building up to the Green Council, episodes 7 and 8 are Driftmark and Lord of the Tides. That just seems to be emphasizing how important the sea snake is to this overall equation when you've got seemingly two episodes that are directly focused on him. So I think that's the right move. Sea snake's wavering loyalties will be great in terms of where that goes, going all the way through the hour of the wolf, practically. Um, Yeah, if this is indeed how they're structuring the season, I'm excited about it because it seems the best way that they could do it in terms of setting a foundation for where they need to go. Completely agree. Uh, any other predictions you want to you want to get on on record before we get into the season? How much do you think that they were going to make Damon a major character when it comes Huge. to? Huge. He's obviously going to be a presence. I think they've set that up right away. But in terms of one of the biggest ambiguities, I think of the books is what degree he was actually playing a role in politics or not when it sure. came to the Blacks' cause. Because the Greens assumed the worst always. They always assumed that, 
well, if we let Rhaenyra take the throne, Damon's actually going to be the king. I mean, uh, That's something we have it covered in the spoiler section that Damon has a incestuous relationship with Rhaenyra. It's the Targaryen. His Damon niece. just has a relationship. You don't need to emphasize it. That's just what the Targaryen. Yeah, with but. his niece, who's who's like fifteen years younger than him. And every part of the, I mean, they had their own concerns about Rhaenyra. They also just straight up just constantly cast aspersions in their name of what she would do. But a lot of the concerns the Greens had about her were driven by the fact of she's married to Damon. We cannot let Damon be in charge of the Seven Kingdoms. At least that's what they would tell people. Sure. He had such a reputation. Almost um, like a Blood Raven type fear of, of this character. Like like it's the being, being concerned yeah. of him. Yeah. Yeah. He has that reputation. And I'll be curious to see to what degree they actually do anything to depict or justify him trying to wield that political influence. Because it's not really clear from the books whether they're just not using the fact he's got a negative reputation to sully the blacks. Whether he actually intends evil things or not. He probably does. They talk about a few. But I'll be curious to see what degree he actually is involved, not only just in being, I w- what degree he actually is a political lieutenant of uh, Rhaenyra as well. So a couple things I want to talk about, um, and this will come up in later seasons. One is we're going to get at some point the Stormy of the Dragon Pit, which is going to be the coolest scene oh. in ever. So awesome. Also, it will become apparent that the it's actually more of a close contest between the greens and the blacks than you would think because yes it yes king aegon is in uh king's landing he does have the royal most of the royal army on his side but the dragon count is 15 to 6 meaning rhaenyra has 15 dragons to aegon six dragons so it's actually a much more closely contested militarily battle than you would you would anticipate i also the High Towers counted on pretty much all of the realm backing them from the start. They'd been making moves for a while. They've been sending out people. It doesn't play out that way, though. Partly because the Blacks make a genius move in terms of going into the Riverlands early and that playing out well for them. But they don't get all of the realm behind their banner the way they hoped early on. And particularly with the with the difference in, in the dragon count. It proves a, a close contest for a long damn time. Though... They make some, the Greens make some evil damn moves to narrow that dragon count early, and I'll be curious to see how quickly we get those. Yeah, Stormy of the Dragon Pit is going to be one of, that. That might be like uh, episode nine, season three, or something. That is going to be awesome. And mur- murdering Rhaenyra's children in, that, in those dragon fights over the air as they're she's trying to send oh. their kids out to make alliances. It, that's going to be I mean, if unbelievable. There, there are going to be a lot of moments of when people are starting to waver one side or the other as people just do some straight-up evil shit. And the Greens murdering children early is going to be one of those moments. Yeah, and then don't we get that great scene where um, Damon sneaks into the castle? Or not Damon. Damon pays oh, yeah. the, the, the rat and what, somebody what, else. What, what were their names? I want to, they had very unique names. Uh, the rat and someone else to go in and do the, the Sophie's choice on, uh, on old, old, old queen. Oh my God. What a move. Yeah. <laughs> Damon's response when somebody does something he deems uncalled for is to just napalm the entire world. That's what Damon unbelievable did. that, that response when he went, when, when one of Rhaenyra's children's murdered hit Damon's Damon's actions after that are so incredible. That's going to be so much fun to watch. It's going to be an exciting series of stuff, man. I, I've been kind of, you know, I've, I've been backwards and forwards and whether I think they could pull this off or not, but the more I watch, the more confident I am that they got some quality people that are running this. They've structured this out the way that it should be. And they got it a hell of a quality of source material to draw from. They got all the pieces they need to make this another miraculous show. And I am excited for it. Awesome. We got, we got, we got some excitement from Spencer, which is farther along than I thought we would. So we will. So I am very excited. We are going to get Uh, to blood and cheese, blood and cheese. cheese, That's what it is. Blood and cheese. Um, We are going to, we got about a month away, about a month away. We're going to be back with you discussing episode one. We're going to do a reaction podcast. Spencer and I'll be in the same room for that one, which is going to be exciting. He's going to come uh, visit me. So we're going to, we're going to watch the episode one together. We'll do a reaction pod and then we will get our notes and we will do a full on recap review episode later in the week. And I think what we'll do with those episodes is do a recap review from the perspective of someone just watching the show. And then we'll probably carve out about 15 minutes at the end for spoilery talk. So you can drop off if you don't want to be spoiled. It's probably the best way to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Looking forward to reviewing the season with you, Spencer. Jumping back into the world of Westeros. Oh my gosh, I'm going to hang my Targaryen banners. Everybody get hyped. <laughs> Game of Thrones is back. Any parting thoughts, Spencer? Is there anything that you can imagine that they can do that could make you shift to the greens before these seasons are done? Going to be hard. Going to be it's real gonna, fucking hard. It'd be, be, be a testament to their writing if they're able to pull it off. But yeah, I'm excited to see the banner battles that are going to happen among the fandom as this series goes on. Yeah, can you imagine all of the all the shirts they're going to sell with the Renera, the banner, and the this and the, is what yeah, they Alice want. Banner. This is what yeah. they are desperate for. Is that kind of just war among the fandom of there are legitimate grounds to make for either of these sides. Let the fandom work it out. Going to be some fun cons. All right, thanks for the discussion, Spencer. We will be back with you for episode one of House of the Dragon here on the podcast feed, Pod of the Dragon. Some Mangum Talks podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy listening to Spencer and us gab. Type in Mangum Talks in your favorite podcast platform. All of our pods will pop up. You can go to mangumtalks.com, check out all of our stuff. Looking forward to reviewing season one of House of the Dragon with you. Till then, see you.